Welcome to Small Biz Brainiac, providing employer intelligence that helps you navigate the regulatory landscape and keep you on course running the business you love. Here's your host, Thomas Rock Lindsay. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Small Biz Brainiac. This is episode 126, Puerto Rico Labor Laws Part 2. I'm your host, Thomas Rock Lindsay, and this is the podcast that delivers employer intelligence two days each week in short 7-10 to minute episodes. My co-host Robert Atridge delivers the Thursday show, and I deliver the Tuesday show. In episode 124, part 1 of Puerto Rico Labor Laws, we learned about the employment contract, the probationary period, just cause terminations, mandatory severance pay, and the minimum wage. And on today's episode, we'll continue by covering overtime, the statutory meal period, and vacation and sick leave. But first, let me give you a little background. Between 2006 and 2016, the labor force in Puerto Rico decreased by 400,000 people, and the number of jobs decreased by 300,000. Now, the net effect is actually 100,000 more jobs for those people that are left in the labor force. And therefore, the unemployment rate should be lower and the labor participation rate should be higher, right? Well, that is not the case. The unemployment rate went up and the labor participation rate went way down. In fact, it's 37% lower than the rest of the U.S. That information comes right out of the Act. And here's another fact from the Act worth quoting. It says, according to the World Economic Forum Global Competitiveness Report, which compared the ranking of Puerto Rico's economy to the rest of the United States and to other countries in terms of productivity, efficiency, and competitiveness, they rank the U.S. number four in labor market efficiency, while Puerto Rico ranks 46. And in terms of hiring and firing, the U.S. ranks 11, and Puerto Rico ranks 94. That is not good. And it's just one of the reasons why the Labor Transformation and Flexibility Act was passed and took effect on January 26, 2017. As a result, being an employer in the Commonwealth became a lot easier and more affordable in some respects and under certain situations. But at the same time, it created a second set of rules applicable only to employees hired after the act. So if you have employees hired both before and after, you have two sets of rules in some cases to follow. Unfortunately, the act misses the mark by not going far enough because, like I said, You've got these two sets of rules, and it doesn't make enough of the right changes. And overtime just happens to be one of those misses. If you're subject to the Fair Labor Standards Act, which most of you are, then you have to pay your non-exempt employees hired before January 26, 2017, overtime wages at the rate of one and a half times their average regular hourly rate for all hours worked in excess of eight per day. And day is defined as a 24-hour period. Now, this rule leads to a lot of what they call technical overtime. For a refresher on who's non-exempt and how overtime is calculated, go listen to episodes 17 and 18. You also have to pay overtime for all time worked over 40 in a week or if there is less than 12 hours between shifts. And you're required to pay double time for all hours worked on the seventh consecutive day of a work week. Now, if you're not an employer covered by the FLSA, then the overtime rate is double time, two times the average hourly rate. However, 
you can pay time and a half where your employee works over eight hours in a day, but not more than 40 in a week. So it's all very complicated. I get it. Um, that's, that's the way the law was before the act. Now, for all employers, including those who are not covered by the FLSA, but only for employees hired after January 26, 2017, there is no more double time except that seventh consecutive day rule still applies in which, in that case, double there is double time. And a day is now a calendar day, not a 24-hour period. Uh, although you can designate an alternative 24-hour cycle as a day if you give your employees a written notice five days in advance. And also the period between shifts was reduced from 12 to 8 hours. So by eliminating the 24-hour rule, by changing the definition of a day and lowering the period between shifts, they've basically eliminated the technical overtime problem, even though you still have to pay overtime for all hours worked over eight in a day, but under the new definition of a day, and over 40 hours in a week. That remains the same. Now, the Labor Transformation and Flexibility Act also allows you to enter into a voluntary agreement with your employee to work 40 hours in five days without being paid overtime, but only as long as they don't work more than 10 in a single day. You're also now allowed to let your employees make up for absences by working up to 12 hours a day without owing overtime, but only as long as they don't work more than 40 in a week. Now, the old closing law is basically eliminated by the Act, except for the requirement to be closed on Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Now, this law only applies to non-exempt retailers, of which there are six defined by statute. For example, establishments dedicated mainly to the preparation of food and direct sales to the public. The closing law used to require that you pay double time if you were a covered employer and you went ahead and operated when you were supposed to be closed, which was from 5 a.m., to 11 a.m. on Sundays. And there were also nine days per year where you were required to be closed. So now that's down to two days. Now, I know that's a lot to absorb and it is a little confusing. It's hard to articulate in in a short podcast. Um, you, so you might have questions about the calendar day, about designating a custom 24-hour cycle when it comes to calculating overtime hours worked. So please don't hesitate to reach out and ask if you have any, if you need help or if you have any questions. All right, moving on to the meal period. There's a mandatory one-hour meal period applicable to all non-exempt employees. This mandatory meal period cannot begin until after the second hour of work, but it must begin before the sixth hour of work. If you have a workday that is six hours or less, then you don't have to provide a meal period. The meal period could be reduced to as little as 30 minutes with a written stipulation. Now, the stipulation is good for one year, and your employees cannot back out of it until after that. These are the rules that now apply to everyone as a result of the Labor Transformation and Flexibility Act, no matter when your employees were hired. So because of that, I won't get into what the rules were before the act. 
Now, for vacation and sick leave for non-exempt employees, including outside salespersons who are typically exempt, who were hired before January 26, 2017, the accrual rate is 1.25 days of vacation and one day of sick leave for every month that they work 115 hours or more. For those hired after the act, the vacation accrual is now based on a table with four different accrual formulas. There's a half day per month for your first year, three quarters of a day per month for years two through four, one day per month for years five through 14, and 1.25 days per month for years 15 and on. If, however, you have 12 or less employees, then the max accrual rate is a half day per month. Now, that's a big change, but in my opinion, it didn't go far enough. They should have completely eliminated mandatory vacation. The sick leave accrual rate, that's the same as before. However, in order to qualify for both accruals, for both the vacation and the sick paid leave, your employees have to work 130 hours in a month instead of 115. So that's another big change. And remember, that's only for employees hired after January 26, 2017. So there's a slew of rules that surround the administration of the vacation and sick leave and how it's accrued, how it's requested, and how it's used that we're not going to get into the weeds on here. Well, maybe let me mention three things. Your employee isn't entitled to take vacation leave until they've accrued it for one year. If your employee's employment ends, you have to pay the total accrued amount up to that point. In other words, the accrued paid time off is considered earned as it's accrued, and so it must be either used or paid. And unused sick leave can be carried over from year to year, but only up to a maximum of 15 days. And It's illegal for you to terminate a grandfathered employee and replace them with a new employee so that you can benefit from the lower vacation accrual rates and the higher qualification standards. Now, we have so much more to cover, but I'm already over the time limit. Uh, Episode 124 was 13 minutes, and um, maybe that was because I went on a minimum wage rant. But I try to keep these under 10, so we'll pick up where we left off next Tuesday on episode 128. Well, then, there you have it. Remember, for the eight steps to lowering your employer liability, head over to smallbizbrainiac.com for your free report. All right, that's a wrap. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Thanks for listening to Small Biz Brainiac. To get your questions answered by Thomas directly, visit smallbizbrainiac.com. And for more employer intelligence, be sure to join us again here on Small Biz Brainiac. Small Biz Brainiac.